Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Steve Graywall, the former General Services Administration's Deputy Chief Information Officer and now Chief Technology Officer at Cohesity. Steve, uh, in many ways, this is a return trip for you to the program and an exit interview at the same time. So welcome back to the program. Thank you for having me, Jason. So you made the big jump to the private sector. We're seeing, unfortunately, too many uh, good people like yourself moving the, the, from the government side to the private sector side. Good for the private sector, maybe not so good for the government. But talk about your decision to move to Cohesity. What attracted you to the company and why leave now versus another time? For me, quite honestly, it was the the opportunity and the, and the problem that Cohesity is solving. Uh, as you know, I mean, I was in government for 15-plus years, a variety of agencies, four large agencies in, a, in, a, in various uh, you know, senior leadership roles that include CIO, CTO, CISO, and what have you. And for me, it was really the problem that Cohesity was solving is the reason that I decided to uh, to, to join the team. We, we talk a lot about modernization. You know, the, of course, the IT Modernization Fund, the MGT Act. I mean, we, we've been talking about that for many years. But really, in my experience in government has been that there's very few companies, product solutions that are better uh, in terms of like reducing architectural complexity, you save dollars, right? And they're also helping you streamline operations. So, you know, better, faster, cheaper with tangible outcomes. Uh, so when I, you know, came across Cohesity, they were essentially hitting all those and solving the IT modernization problem. What Cohesity does, you know, we our mission is remaking secondary storage. So if you look at a typical uh, enterprise, you look at a data center environment, give or take 20% of, of your, your data is your, well, your production applications, what we call primary storage. So your crown jewels, your tier one stuff that really, you know, is, is supporting your, your primary mission. Then what we, what we you know, call secondary storage uh, is really 80% of the enterprise, which is, you know, when we say secondary storage, it could be backups, it could be archives, it could be your test development data, it could be file shares, and that's a lion's share of what, what secondary data makes up. And if you look at that space historically, you know, very siloed very fragmented, inefficient. We store data and we keep data across those silos for good business reasons, whether it's compliance, mission, uh, related, and what have you, but we haven't done a good job managing that data. So Cohesity uh, built a platform which basically hyper-converges converges all of those secondary data silos into one platform. So super exciting for me as I came across the company. Our founder was one of the lead developers at Google who helped them build the, their distributed file system, you know, all the web scale technology principles, and then actually went on to he started a company called Nutanix. Nutanix actually follows the same principles, but their focus is primary storage. So they're they're doing hyper-convergence for primary storage, and uh, we are focusing on that problem for secondary. He was there until 2013. Nutanix has done phenomenal. Uh, you know, they were doing really well, recently placed as a leader uh, by Gartner and the Magic uh, Quadrant. And so when our, Mohit Aron, our founder, you know, came across a secondary problem, he decided to, you know, start Cohesity in 2013. So as I started to learn about the company, you know, still focusing on public sector, still focusing on government, still focusing on optimizing the taxpayer dollar, uh, just in a different, uh, slightly different capacity. So there's a lot to unpack there before I start to do that, though. Let me just quickly go through your career. You said you worked at four different agencies. I mentioned you as your last job, deputy CIO at GSA. Go through some of the other jobs you worked at in government. Before GSA, I was at the Department of Education for uh, nearly six years, uh, most recently serving as the acting CIO. I was also the deputy CIO CTO there and then also did a, a three-and-a-half-year stint as a CISO 
Prior to the Department of Education, I worked uh, for HHS as a director of operations running enterprise-scale infrastructure ops. And then prior to that, I was at the Department of Transportation for, you know, six-plus years in a variety of leadership roles for information security and infrastructure management. So, again, pretty good, you know, uh, cross-sectional understanding of, you know, the challenges federal agencies are facing, how the IT agenda has evolved over the last four or five administrations, and kind of current state of affairs. I mean, where we were, where we are, where we want to go as government, and then also what's been preventing us in terms of some of the barriers to make uh, to make progress. Did you work in the private sector previously, or is this your first experience in the private sector? I did work uh, in the private sector previously. So uh, before joining government in the early 2000s, I did uh, work for the private sector to include a few startups as well as a product company and a consulting organization. So was initially started my career in the private sector, uh, transitioned into government, and then now uh, came back to the private sector. That experience, just what you encompass right there, what I think the government's really starting to face is people who come in for a little while and then go back out, but still have, they get, if you will, bit by the better government, improved government uh, bug, and you can do it from a different perspective. And I think that's what you, as you described, uh, what Cohesity's mission is. Uh, Talk a little bit about this idea of secondary storage. It's not a topic that I hear people bring up often. Is this kind of something that, yeah, you can really focus on that top 20%, but all the gold really is buried in that 80%, meaning all the decision-making ability, all this idea of how do we take our data, be a better government with it. I'm a firm believer that data is a, a strategic asset for any organization, right? I mean, regardless of your mission space, I mean, d- data is invaluable. Assuming that you have uh, access to that data, data you're able to make on-demand uh, decisions and you're able to, you know, you know, utilize that data in a fashion that you need. So, you know, I, I think technologies will continue, you know, changing. You know, there's there some things are getting commoditized. What's best to breed today may not be best to breed tomorrow. But I think the one constant that we're going to keep seeing is data and data growth, right? I mean, think about using data in your personal life. I mean, even on your mobile device or your, your iPad or what have you, you know, just the overall data explosion is continuing. And in the enterprise, it's even exponential. So, you know, we we solve the dark data problem. Like I said, I mean, you think about Gmail. I mean, the same way, you know, you, you, you get into Gmail and with a simple search, you're able to then go back and pull up uh, data in your archives at your fingertips. That same principle of the underlying technologies that enable that are the same principles that we have applied to the secondary storage space with our platform. So, you know, think about all the data that we even have on tapes or all the data that we have archived. I mean, we call it dark data, and we solve that dark data problem because then you're able to really unleash the data and you're able to utilize that data for, you know, risk-based decision-making. To me, that that's tremendous. I mean, the government has, as you know, I mean, just a ton, a ton of valuable data uh, across a variety of – across both the IC, the DOD, and the civilian space. So if we – you know, that in itself – uh, is a is a tremendous um, asset in my opinion. Talk about your role at Cohesity as CTO. What will you be doing? So I'll be um, helping build build out the entire uh, federal practice. Uh, we currently have over. 35 federal customers. So, you know, we do have a federal presence. You know, we have agencies of issued authorities to operate for us. We're, we're FIP certified. So we're basically uh, putting all the right building blocks and the foundation in place for federal. Federal is a huge focus for Cohesity. I'm going to be helping in all aspects of building out the business. So product management for federal, technical marketing for federal, of course, uh, helping expand the business. So basically all facets of, of the company and in a federal 
uh, federally focused fashion will be part of my charter. All right, very good. Now, let's talk a little bit about your role at GSA. The last thing you did there was a deputy CIO, and, and there's a ton of stuff going on at GSA, a ton of stuff in government. When you look back over that 15 years in government, you, you mentioned HHS, you mentioned transportation, education, GSA. What were some of the projects or programs that you worked on that maybe you really stood out to you as you're most proud of? You know, it was, was a great experience for me, and, and GSA certainly is a thought leader in, in the innovation space. So, you know, GSA also has a bit of a higher risk tolerance to do new things. So there's been a lot of talk about cloud and government, right? So uh, really uh, uh, helping develop uh, the, a multi-cloud strategy and implementing against that was certainly one of my proud moments at GSA, and that included everything from, uh, you know, how do we optimize on-premise data centers, how do we put the right architecture in place for those data centers to align with cloud services. You know, there's been, it's interesting, I mean, cloud's been an overutilized term ever since the 25.2 reform plan under the Obama administration that uh, the federal CIO put out. That's how the cloud first policy was born. There's been a lot of evolved thinking around cloud. I think early on it was, hey, let's, let's all public cloud is the way to go. Then we realized for a variety of reasons, vendor lock-in, economics, et cetera, that's not the, that's not the answer. Then we moved, you know, pivoted from there into more of a hybrid cloud approach where, you know, we, we wanted to have kind of an on-prem cloud-like presence, but we also wanted to leverage CSPs. And really, I think where we are now is multi-cloud. So, you know, you want to be, you want the same efficiencies, you want the same characteristics of cloud in your own data centers. You want architectural consistency between your data centers and Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and you want to be in the driver's seat, right? You, you, you want to be able to control uh, leveraging those services based on your business processes and your needs. And, and really putting that entire kind of framework in place at GSA was really uh, exciting for me. Uh, you know, I would say that, that, that certainly is one of, my, one of my proud moments from a modernization perspective. Cybersecurity was, of course, huge, right? You know, focusing on cybersecurity, everything from, you know, identity management and looking at next generation services there. And then also costing, right? Costing is really important. GSA was, was front and center with TBS. Uh, technology business management, which was a uh, you know a framework that uh, you know a lot of agencies are now shifting to, to really uh, move, having visi- end-to-end visibility around total cost of ownership for IT spend. I mean, uh, the government spends you know over ninety billion dollars, and we have uh, legacy processes for capital planning and investment control. So TBM was another area, and finally the presidential transition. I mean, I was. Uh, I was uh, the senior executive in charge of uh, the presidential transition, you know, both uh, pre-election and then then post-election, and that was an exciting experience basically building out the IT infrastructure and delivering corresponding services to support that entire process. There's a lot there to unpack. Let's take a quick break, Steve, and come back. We can jump into some maybe your recommendations or your advice around cloud, around cyber, et cetera. My guest is Steve Graywall, the Chief Technology Officer at Cohesity and former GSA Deputy Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Download our free executive surveys at federalnewsradio.com. Search surveys. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Steve Graywall, the former GSA deputy CIO and current CTO at Cohesity. Now, Steve, before break, you went through some of the things you worked on while you're at GSA. As an example, you mentioned cloud, and I think you bring up a cloud at the perfect time, not only because there's so much attention to it, but there's a little bit of a, a challenge going on within DOD and their Jedi cloud, single awards, single cloud. What does all that mean? From your perspective, and uh, take the broad view of cloud, what are some common mistakes agencies are still making, and, and how, do, how do we overcome them? First and foremost, you know, cloud for the sake of cloud is certainly a mistake. I mean, you know, lift and shift migrations from your on-premise data centers to the cloud are going to give you the same outcomes that you've 
you know, that you've experienced in your data centers. So there's certainly a distinction between cloud native apps and uh, apps that aren't quite, uh, you know, cloud native. So, you know, legacy applications that are designed and architected to not run in the cloud probably are not your, your best candidates to move to the cloud. So I would say paying close attention to refactoring, uh, replatforming as a uh, prerequisite before you move to the cloud is certainly key. It, it, otherwise, you know, you, you certainly, you know, may, may do some workload migration into the cloud, but in terms of the true benefits of cl that cloud has to offer, uh, you may not yield. So take a close and hard look at, at your workloads, categorize your workloads to, to determine from a fit gap perspective which ones are, are closely aligned with, with cloud native uh, capabilities and which ones are still legacy architectures and then be mindful of actually you know, what you keep on-prem and, and, and work on modernizing versus just moving to the cloud. We want, I would also say mature workloads that are delivered via SaaS services or areas you know, that are proven. So mail and collaboration, for example, you know, Google mail services and collaboration services, Office 365, other common business processes that are delivered via SaaS services. I would say those proven, those mature workloads where we can get great service at the right SLA for a lower cost point, those should be no-brainers. I think uh, CIOs at micro, small, mid-sized, large agencies across the portfolio should be looking at those opportunities opportunities and, and, you know, putting the right energy and effort behind those to take advantage of those migrations as well. And then finally, the multi-cloud piece I talked about, you, you certainly don't want to be in a vendor lock-in scenario. You know, things change. The time to, you know, time to market is, is certainly a key. Pace of innovation is, is, is very, very dynamic. So you certainly don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. We very much, I think, uh, in the industry are now uh, have subscribed to the notion of we're going to have both on uh, efficient on-prem data centers and we're going to leverage uh, cloud service providers as well. It's not going to be one or the other. So as you're designing and investing in cloud, ensure your strategy is positioned to take both uh, advantage of the CSP ecosystem, but also make sure that you're arch architecting on-prem to have some level of consistency where, you know, the whole notion of having a single pane of glass for orchestration automation where you can control how and where you want to provision your workloads. I mean, ideally, you want to get to a place where you have one single pane of glass and you're able to essentially pick, hey, I want to want to push this workload up to, to Amazon. I want to provision this workload up to Azure. Uh, this one I'm going to keep all, all you know, on-prem for a variety of reasons. So that those will be the three, I think, key areas for cloud uh, in terms of recommendations uh, for CIOs and government. So I'm going to pick on you a little bit, okay? Sure. So you talk about lift and shift, and I've talked to several others in, in the federal community, and they say sometimes you do need just the lift and shift to get to the cloud because that, that first step is so important. And I think is, is there still a debate in your eyes about that lift and shift, whether or not agencies should, hey, if you can move it to the cloud, move it to the cloud, even if it's the business processes necessarily haven't changed, because inherently the cloud will be more secure and hopefully will cost less, and then, then you can update your business processes and really look at those applications and, as you said, refactor them. Do you think that that's still a big debate in the federal market? I would say it's a debate from the perspective of cost. I mean, you know, all workloads and all applications aren't equal. I think we're starting to see that economics of all public cloud uh, can be very pricey. You know, Dropbox, for example, uh, was all public cloud company, and over the last, you know, two-plus years, they made a conscious decision to actually insource, and they've built out three data centers, They've and in the process, they've improved service and saved saved a ton of money as well. So I would say, you know, be mindful of the financial analysis there. If you truly have an application 
that you can lift and shift and, and you can maintain the same level of performance and you can decrease cost. Sure, I think that's something that, you know, uh, you can entertain, you know, from a, from a change management perspective. However, uh, I would just be very careful about calculating total cost. I mean, if it's a small footprint, perhaps there's a scenario where you, where you might save costs. But going back to our earlier TBM discussion, you know, knowing what you're spending now and then knowing what you're going to spend in the cloud is very, very important. So um, outside of the technical analysis, I would say the costing is, is critical. You know, so be be certain of, of whether or not you're truly going to save uh, money, and it's not just a talking point that you're going to save money as a matter of moving to the cloud. I think that's a fair point because I think a lot of times, especially early on, as you mentioned, the 25-point IT plan, people got all excited about moving to the cloud, and it would be cheaper. And then people found, okay, this isn't so much cheaper. I may get <laughs> a little more quality or a little more quantity of services, but it may not be cheaper. And I think that the idea of cheaper kind of went out the window after uh, after quite a while. The, exactly. The other piece you bring up is the multi-cloud piece, and I think that's fascinating. When you were at GSA and, and you know you were looking at the this idea of architecting uh, on-prem to have consistency, the single pane of glass, were you guys able to achieve that within GSA? Because I think you, your work with Dave Shive, the CIO at GSA, really was out in front of many agencies. We had the right building blocks in place in terms of uh, you know the, the CSP uh, footprints. We had the right orchestration automation capabilities, but between a variety of platforms and tools that we utilized, so we were able to you know really take advantage of that of that you know the overall ecosystem, where you know we knew of course how our internal data centers, our on-premise data centers, were designed and architected. But we also, as you know, GS, you mentioned GSA has had a long-standing relationship with with cloud providers and, and definitely early mover, uh, first mover for a lot of cloud services. So we were certainly ahead of the pack in terms of, you know, realizing that vision and actually putting that vision into practice. The other thing you brought up was uh, TBM, Technology Business Management. This is a big push from the Office of Management Budget regarding their capital planning investment control. GSA, again, out ahead of, of using TBM, I think they were one of the, if you will, pilot programs. Talk a little about the, the role TBM can play in understanding your technology infrastructure and the modernization approach. I think TBM is, is absolutely critical, and I think it's all about visibility, right? I mean, IT organizations in government uh, have – there's a lot of variables. There's 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 contracts. There's uh, different sources of, of funding. There are um, – the timelines for renewals and things don't all quite align. So you've got a very kind of fragmented uh, approach to, to overall, you know, cost management and cost accounting. So – you know, we, we certainly have uh, the, the legacy OMB processes for CPIC and, and some of those areas for, you know, capturing investment data. But if we start to look kind of more horizontally, right, the, the goal of TBM and government is really for us to, you know, capture total cost of ownership end to end. So, you know, there's a there's a there's an approach with with different towers and, and, and categorically, how do you, start, you know, get that going? But end of the day, the whole idea is that you have total and uh, complete visibility into total cost of ownership end to end, capturing all the components of a service that you're delivering. So you're then as a service provider really able to make trade-offs, do more robust analysis. And then also as, as, as budgets are getting tighter and tighter, you're able to, you know, understand where you have opportunities for, for consolidation and what have you. So that, that's the entire thinking there. There's, there's a long way to go, again, just because of the technical debt that agencies have accrued, the various processes, financial management processes and technical processes, uh, the whole acquisition and contracts area. It's how do you bring that together in a coherent way 
and start to, you know, really capture that and then use that as a tool for decision making for uh, during the budget process or even if you're lobbying for new money and what have you. So uh, that, that's the whole idea there is, is capturing total, total cost of ownership. And then you can then, you know, you can look at consumption, you can look at use, you can look at pulling different levers and what, what the impact is. One of the things I've heard about TBM is start small, make some mistakes, fix the data, but continue to move forward. Don't wait for the data to be perfect or don't wait to collect all the data. Uh, is that your experience too? And what kind of advice would you give to CIOs around TBM? You know, you, you go and start with what you have. You know, perfection is the enemy of progress. You you don't want to spend a ton of time cleaning data and then not actually making progress. I would say I would say parallel path it. I would say you know if you know you have data gaps or you have data inaccuracies, work on cleaning those up. Cleaning those up. Start with the baseline you have, refine it, and you know along the way. Uh, but also be, I would say, also be aware of your di- different, you know, provisioning processes, right? I mean, I think as you look at the flow of things, I mean, there's there's many different ways to get to the same destination in a lot of these large enterprises. You know, there's not a standardized one cookie cutter way of acquiring service. So the other piece of advice I would say is, you know, well, certainly start with what you have and, uh, you know, don't, don't spin and spin and spin on making sure you have perfect data. Also, you know, have a holistic understanding of the kind of provisioning workflows in your in your environment so you know kind of start to end initial contact uh, intake all the way to delivery you know how, how are those things handled and that's usually a great place to start mapping out uh, the the other components other variables to get that visibility all right very good advice both on cloud and of TBM I know it's a, it's a hot topic I really appreciate the time Steve Graywall is the chief technology officer at Cohesity and former GSA deputy chief information officer Steve thank you so much for your time and of course thank you for your service to the government and to the country thank you me, Jason. Appreciate it. We have to take a break. In the next two segments of the show, we continue our discussion around technology business management or TBM. I'm Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. My guest for the next two segments is Todd Tucker, the vice president of research standards and education for the TBM council. Todd, welcome to the program. All right. Thanks, Jason. So TBM is one of those things starting to get a lot of attention, and it's starting to get a lot of focus from the Trump administration. Uh, And then now with the 2019 budget request, once again, OMB is calling out TBM. And GSA uh, talks about putting together a program management office around TBM. So let's just talk about your initial reaction about this, this idea of a program management office around TBM and, and some of your thoughts around what this means. First of all, I think it's fantastic news, Jason, that the administration has pushed in this direction to have a program office. We think that it's really important that not only are there the guidelines that come from OMB, say, on uh, the capital planning and investment control, uh, that was an important first step, but a lot of agencies are really struggling with how do they implement true TBM? In other words, how do they take it beyond compliance in the way that they uh, submit their budgets to actually using data and facts to drive decision, to drive accountability for cost? This program office, if it uh, if if it's implemented. I believe it can start to pave the way for making that happen. In other words, going beyond compliance, but actually helping other agencies, uh, as the GSA is in a very central role, helping other agencies adopt TBM in a smart way and an effective way. Now, one thing about the adoption of TBM, as we know, is it's hard, (laughs) without a doubt. Where do I start? There's so much data. 
Todd, before we get too far down the path of TBM, just back me up a little bit. Help me understand, TBM is what? It's a set of standards. It's a taxonomy. But give me the 30-second pitch when you, you know, when someone asks, what is a TBM? Technology business management is the management via data and transparency of cost, consumption, and performance, quite simply. And what it means is that you use that information about how much things truly cost, how they're being consumed, and how that consumption drives those costs, and performance in terms of quality, security, risk, uh, et cetera, but you make trade-offs, fact-based trade-offs. Sometimes it makes more sense to uh, reduce consumption to reduce cost or increase quality, but know that you're going to spend more doing so. All of those are fact-based decisions. And when that happens, people come to conclusions about their spending that drives greater efficiency and ultimately, and most importantly, value for the money that is spent on IT. What are one or two things you would recommend that OMB, GSA keep in mind as they are putting this program office together? I think they're looking at only about four employees, so it's not going to be a huge office. And I think that that a small group of four can do a great job of uh, understanding and articulating the best practices for what TBM is and how it works in a federal context. We've seen this with, for example, the state of Washington. There's a very small group uh, within the central technology services in the state of Washington that is responsible for the, the program there within the state within about 43 or 44 agencies. And that small team has done amazing things in driving usage and adoption of TBM data to make better decisions there. And that's what it's about. Ultimately, I think sometimes we, we like to make it more complicated than it is because at the core, TBM is, is an analytics-driven exercise. You basically are using different data sets to understand your cost of delivering generally services or applications or what have you, but understand IT costs. So the, the number one thing is I think organizations can learn from what are some of those best analytics practices, uh, what's worked, what's not worked, uh, what have we learned about the data we have, what have we learned about the data that we need to do this well. And I think, again, those four people or whatever it turns out to be within GSA uh, can do a fantastic job of figuring out what, what that looks like. The other thing I think, and I would love to see this, is for them to, you know, maybe start establishing some TBM-related services out of GSA so that uh, other agencies could benefit from those services. And those could be actually delivering some TBM analytics for other agencies, but it could also be just more like professional services, if you will, which would be helping those agencies adopt it on their own or otherwise improve what they have in place. So I think there's a, a lot that that small team can do. Uh, we typically see very small teams running TBM, even within large enterprises and within government agencies. So I, I think uh, we, we shouldn't underestimate what's possible there. Okay, I want to go back to the piece about helping agencies with professional services. But before I do that, can you talk a little bit more about the Washington State example? And they've been very vocal about this, and uh, they, they've done, done a tremendous amount of outreach to the federal agencies supporting federal government in understanding what they've accomplished. There is a case study that was published by the OMB that is available uh, to federal agencies or through the CIO.gov uh, website, also available publicly. And what, you know, the lesson from that is 
first of all, they established TBM as policy, actually as law. It was legislated, and it was required uh, implementation by any agency over a certain amount of IT spending. They actually voluntarily lowered that amount so that more agencies adopted. And again, I think the number is 43 agencies. What the central group does is they actually run a TBM program that actually delivers services to some of the smaller agencies so that they can adopt TBM without a lot of their own resources. That works well for the smaller agencies. The larger ones, uh, ones with you know greater IT spending, et cetera, they've got their own implementation. So it's a hybrid approach where some are adopting on their own, some are using the state, kind of the central TBM office program that exists, but it, but it works really well. Uh, they've really done a lot of amazing things in terms of understanding their costs, driving efficiency for those costs. They're starting to look at things like how much does the a driver's license cost to produce in terms of IT costs so that we can you know optimize those. Really fantastic program. And that comes back to this idea of services, because as you said, for the in the state of Washington, maybe a smaller agency with less IT spend, less IT resources, they're going to get some help, but a larger agency within Washington state with maybe a more IT spend, more resources, maybe they need a different kind of help. And is that the same kind of concept you're thinking of from GSA? An agency like DOD, as an example, or Homeland Security may have enough resources and they just need help getting started. But an agency like, you know, pick one pension benefit guarantee corporation or Millennium Challenge Corporation, they may not have the budget and the people. So maybe they could buy services through GSA for people to come in and help out. That, that's the, the concept you're, you're talking about here. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, you know, I don't know precisely what that should look like or even could look like, but I think in the GSA's role as oftentimes a service provider to the, you know, to the other government agencies and certainly in its uh, role of acquiring services for those other agencies, I think they're in a pivotal position to, to, to do something like that. Yeah, I'd like them, to, you know, to see that point be a point of leverage for the rest of the federal government, at least in the civilian side. If I wanted to go to a GSA schedule, uh, you know, a professional services contract like Mobis or or the Oasis, I could probably buy TBM services through uh, one of the vendors out there. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about some of my experience lately. I've been doing a lot of training in the federal government. And uh, we delivered, I think, last year uh, eight or nine classes in the D.C. area with uh, both federal employees and contractors. And what I've seen is we have folks coming through, certainly from some of the larger consultancies like Booz Allen and KPMG and Deloitte, et cetera. But we also have a lot of smaller contractors coming through as well, and they're all gearing up their capabilities to deliver services in this area. So I know that's going on. You know, I would expect that you've got, uh, you know, uh, product vendors available in those schedules. But I couldn't I couldn't tell you directly that I've that I've seen that. We have to take a break. My guest is Todd Tucker, the vice president of research standards and education at the Technology Business Management Council. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Todd Tucker, the Vice President of Research Standards and Education at the Technology Business Management Council. 
Let me come back to GSA for a second. We, they came up a couple times during this conversation so far and talk a little bit about GSA's experience with TBM and maybe how that can help them with their program management office as they start planning it out a little bit. That experience that they've had is going to play a big role in the program office that we're talking about. Um, you, you know, I think they, they've, uh, they, they've learned a lot as uh, they've been working on this for a little over a year now. They've uh, been approaching this internally, one of the early adopters in the U.S. federal government for TBM or, or with TBM. And, and so I, I think that experience is going to prove crucial. We've also involved one of their folks uh, with the TBM Council on our standards committee so that uh, we get the federal perspective, especially in regards to what we call the TBM taxonomy. That taxonomy is is the standard categories of costs, consumption, and other metrics that has been embraced by the OMB for reporting the budget submissions. And, and so having that federal input has been crucial, but also it has given them the exposure to the you know, conversations and the discussions that we have within the Standards Committee, how that's developing, so forth. So they've applied that to what's, what they're doing. So, yeah, I think their experience there is going to prove crucial. The more that an organization obviously learns about deploying it and, and using the information, which is crucial, uh, the better they're going to be in a position to provide services to uh, to other or value to other agencies. Can you walk me through some other people that maybe the TBM Council has been working with or at least been helping out a little bit? We have trained almost 400 professionals, either employees or contractors, uh, for federal agencies. And I would say that every civilian federal agency, um, at least at the department level, is uh, has been represented, um, and, and obviously many of the components. Uh, in, we've also had several from uh, uh, defense-related agencies as well. So it's been really good to see that kind of traction in terms of education and awareness. But I would say that's not, not adoption. So adoption, I don't have direct experience with uh, the adoption by many of the agencies, but I know that uh, uh, there are several that are, are in the process of deploying TBM and using the information from TBM. Department of Education comes to mind. We've had some engagement with the CIO there, uh, Jason Gray, but uh, FEMA, EPA, or a couple of others, but I know that's not the entire list. There are many who have uh, engaged. There's a community of practice that was established by, um, well, shoot, I'm not exactly sure which agency established the community of practice, but there is a community of practice for TBM. There's also an executive steering committee with the CIO Council for TBM as well, and I know they have had conversations and looked at uh, at the deployment. Um, it's not something that I have direct uh, direct experience with, though. Well, that's helpful because it's good to see that, you know, the fact is 400 professionals and either employees or contractors have been gone through your training. That shows that there's a, a, a groundswell of interest at, at the very least. What are you hearing from agencies about that effort to use TBM? What are maybe some common challenges they're facing or some common you know, obstacles? First and foremost, when I talk to federal employees about this and ask, you know, what's 
What are your uh, concerns? Why are you embracing this? The answers vary. Some of the answers are we're embracing this because the OMB has has mandated this in uh, CPIC guidelines in the way we budget. And uh, so they're approaching it really from a compliance perspective. However, if you ask the OMB what their expectations are, they admit that this was just a small first step, and what they want to see is uh, TBM adoption in a, a way that drives real value for the IT spending by the federal government. So they want this to not just be a compliance exercise, but uh, be something real. So the others that I talked to, they're looking at this as how do I embrace this in a way that, again, changes the way we make decisions, allows us to um, you know, optimize our, our spending. And, and many, what, what I hear is they recognize that the budgets that they're getting, the, the, the dollars that they're getting, um, have to go further and further. And so they're really interested in how do we apply TBM to optimize the operations and maintenance spending, the O&M spending, so that they can fund, you know, things that are more important, you know, the, the innovation, the modernization, things that, uh, you know, really accelerate their missions or help them execute their missions better. So, you know, again, a lot of folks I talk to are very keen on that. When that is the focus, the, the interest and, and some of the challenges are, are a little different as well, because then they're looking at, okay, how do we adopt the TBM taxonomy? How do we implement a model? How do we, um, you, you know, use the right data, et cetera? And so then they run into a lot of the same challenges we've seen just over the years in the, in the private sector. The, the good news is our advice for them is very much the same, which is approach this in a very agile way. And, you know, we have organizations that have embraced this at a large scale, even AIG, large, uh, obviously, insurer, global insurer. They've taken the agile methodology, applied it to TBM, which says that, you know, we're going to um, implement this in sort of a minimum viable product way. We know that the data is imperfect. We know that, uh, you know, we don't know what uh, our, our decision makers really need, but we're going to get it in place and we're going to use feedback to improve this very continuously, but, but do so very, very rapidly. We found there's a massive difference between organizations, whether it's, you know, government agencies or private sector, there's a big difference between those who choose to take that approach, get started, you know, sort of, uh, you know, don't expect perfection, but make continuous improvement. There's a big difference between those and the others who say, we'll do this. And when it's really good, we'll, then, then we'll start showing what we have. I, I think it's just really important that you start to get the information out there, you start to have conversations with, uh, you know, your, your stakeholders. Your, um, a lot of times they're your consumers of IT or they're your program leaders, they're agency CFOs, CIOs, et cetera, who should be looking at this information and not expect perfection from day one, but ask questions and ask how they can help, you know, improve uh, what's being done. That's how you accelerate the program. So those, those challenges are somewhat universal, but it's night and day between the ones who do that well and the ones that, uh, you know, sort of let perfect be the enemy of, of good. Or those who say, hey, this is a compliance exercise. Let's just 
comply with it because they won't be told us to. That that's probably the <laughs> other end of the spectrum, the, the far end. Yep, that's right. That's right. And you know the you know one of the challenges with CPIC and the way um, it, it's currently done with the budget submissions is it's not data driven. It is not the dollars that are filled out in these forms. They um, have varying degrees of veracity and quality. You know, some agencies, I know I've, I've seen um, and talked to some of the folks doing this work, and they do an amazing amount of work uh, to get that done. And so any change that comes along, like the change recently made by OMB with the TBM taxonomy towers and cost pools, you know, those have a big impact on their job. But at least they're, you know, they're, they're doing that hard work. I think they could do it in a different way, but uh, they're trying to use data. But many, you know, many others, it's, uh, it's a little bit more on the estimation side. And, and so I think, uh, again, having this be a very data-driven exercise means that not only is it easier to do, it becomes, um, at the end of the day, it becomes a lot more powerful in, in the decision-making that, uh, that is made possible. Todd, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is that the policy changes or the legislative changes that sometimes need to happen to really push forward or, or help agencies get off of the compliance side and move into the operational side, if you will. So is there anything that you guys from the council perspective is look, are looking at saying, hey, if OMB changes this policy or if Congress can get involved and adds legislation, so what's missing or what needs to be updated to really make TBM uh, move out faster? The administration has done a lot to support TBM. I really feel like the support for TBM in the federal sector has been very strong from the executive side. From the legislative side, it's not that I haven't seen support, but I think what would what, what I hear a lot of complaints or, or concerns about is many feel that it is a bit of an unfunded mandate. Uh, they, you know, many like, like the idea. They think it's a good idea for government. They can see how uh, it will help them do their jobs better, make better decisions, and get more value for for federal IT spending, but they don't really have the resources for it, and those resources have not been uh, specifically appropriated. Even the uh, GSA program that was mentioned in the president's budget, that president's budget is more um, of a you know a policy statement. It, it, it is not the federal budget. That comes from legislature. So I think funding for, uh, for TBM is important. The other thing I would say is I would like to see the legislature in their oversight role for how um, the government spends money. I'd love to see more oversight, the IT spending as well. They should be asking the same questions that we saw with legislators in the state of Washington. That's why state of Washington actually embraced TBM is there was pressure coming from legislature about IT spending itself. And so I think uh, legislators should be asking themselves about, you know, are we getting enough value for, for that spending? Todd Tucker is the Vice President of Research Standards and Education at the Technology Business Management Council. Todd, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you, Jason. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. 